Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, I've written a stack of books on leadership and read uh, probably two to 300 more books on leadership, taught about it for years now at Gateway Seminary. And in the context of all of that, I've asked myself one seminal question. What is distinctive about Christian leadership? What is distinctive about Christian leadership? Now, I don't want to answer that question expansively by saying, well, read 200 books. I want to try to answer it more specifically by coming down to the essence of what makes Christian leaders different than secular leaders. What is it that is unique about us? You know, leadership is an amoral discipline. The best leadership definition that I've discovered was written by Joseph Rost in his book, Leadership for the 21st Century. Dr. Rost developed his definition uh, after an extensive and exhaustive academic research project led by a team of Ph.D. researchers at the university where he was an instructor. I love his definition because I think it's academically rigorous and stands up to the test of so many uh, standards of what a good definition must be. He says, leadership is an influence relationship among leaders and followers who intend real changes that reflect their mutual purposes. Notice there's not anything in that definition that qualifies the kind or the nature of the influence relationship. Are the leaders and the followers? Are the real changes? Are the mutual purposes? Now, if you take one of my leadership classes, you know that I would spend uh, several sessions in class talking about each part of this definition and how you infuse it with Christian meaning. For example, this definition could be used to describe a global terrorist leader or a drug cartel leader, a person who has an influence relationship among leaders and followers who intend real changes that reflect their mutual purposes. Those people I've just mentioned are leaders but they're definitely not Christian leaders. As we think about this definition and then ask ourselves ourselves the question, what is unique about us that informs the different components or aspects of this definition? Well, it's a short podcast, so we're not going into all the components of it, but I want to hone in on what I believe to be the essence, the core the irreducible minimum, if you will, that makes Christian leadership distinct. I've come to this conclusion by careful study of Scripture and also by trying to eliminate a lot of other things that become, I think, static or background noise to answering the question. So here we go. I think the first distinctive of Christian leadership is that we have a distinct motive, and that motive is love. 
We are motivated by love for God and love for people. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 34 to 38, that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting to me whom Jesus was addressing when he made these statements. He was addressing the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. On my podcast, I generally address religious leaders. Wouldn't put all of you in the category of Pharisee, but I would put you in the category of religious leaders. And so Jesus is saying to us, Leaders, what must motivate you, what must drive you, what must be at the core of who you are is love God and love people. Love God and love people. This is the first remarkable distinction between Christian leaders and secular leaders. We love God, and we love people. And that's what motivates us every day. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning. That's what drives us through the difficulties of hard meetings. That's what presses us to keep digging, to root, to unearth the Bible study insights for preaching and teaching. That's what moves us forward when people are hard and difficult and troublesome and dirty and broken. We love God. And we love people. We are not motivated by money, by prestige, by favor, by popularity. We are not motivated by getting people to like us, by making a name for ourselves. We are motivated by love. Now, let's be frank. All these other things I've just mentioned, they're all temptations, aren't they? It's so tempting to be caught up in love of money, power, prestige, position, accolades. It's so easy to find ourselves motivated by these things, but those are not the motives of Christian leaders. The distinctive motive that marks our lives as different than secular leaders is that we love God. We really do love him. And we love people. We really do love them. And love keeps us going. So the first distinctive of Christian leadership is our distinct motive. We do what we do because we love God and we love people. Now, the second distinctive is a distinct attitude, a distinct attitude. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two, verse five, have this attitude, this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that distinct attitude is the attitude of humility. Now, me teaching on humility is humorous to say the least. I am not generally thought of as an example of humility. 
but I've been working on it all of my adult life because I recognize that the instructions in Philippians 2 apply to me and that I am responsible to learn humility and to bear that attitude in my daily life and work as a leader. A number of years ago when I wrote wrote the book, uh, The Character of Leadership, it has a chapter in it on developing humility. I, I was proud to have written that book, of course, and wanted my children to have a copy of it Uh, So I signed each one of them an individual copy and put it in the mail. A few days later, my oldest son called and I answered the phone and he didn't say hello or how are you doing or anything like that. I answered the phone and said hello and he blurted out, humility, you got to be kidding me. You wrote a chapter in a book on how to be humble. Now he's of course given me grief as only my oldest son can do, but he was uh, poking fun at me and actually reminding me that I hadn't quite yet fully arrived on that subject, humility. I've thought a lot about, though, this important issue, and that is, how do you demonstrate humility while at the same time having the public notoriety that comes with being a leader? What does humility look like in leadership? How do you put into practice the instruction from Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves. Well, you put that into practice by looking at what follows in those verses and how you can draw the principles of those into your life. The Bible says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Oh, my. This is the model of humility that we are to emulate. Jesus models true humility as a leader, now listen carefully, by using his position and privilege to benefit others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now get this part. Who, although he existed in the form of God, had the position and privilege of that role in heaven, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And by that self-emptying act, died on the cross, experienced the resurrection to benefit other people. Jesus models humility by using his position and privilege to benefit others and by sacrificing to meet the needs of of others. This is what humility looks like in leadership. It is about using your privilege and your position, not denying it, but using it for the benefit of others and sacrificing yourself so that your privilege and position are not for your own benefit, but are used for the benefit of others. John the Baptist is a good example of this. He illustrates seeing yourself as God sees you, accepting yourself, accepting God's appraisal of you, and accepting yourself as fulfilling the mission that God has assigned for you. In the book, The Character of Leadership, I wrote this. John the Baptist is a good example. When asked, what can you tell us about yourself in John one twenty two, 
John did not hesitate to answer. He did not drag his, drop his head or scuff his toe. He simply answered the question. John said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, John 1.23. John later added, He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie, John 1.27. Of course, he was speaking of Jesus, who he had come to introduce. Yet in spite of Jesus' greatness and his smallness by comparison, John still owned both his identity and his mission. Jesus' preeminence did not invalidate John's role in God's overall plan. John the Baptist is a good example of humility. He used the position and the privilege that he had been given, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of Jesus and those who'd come after, so that he used who he was and what he was called to do for the benefit of others. And what really strikes me about John the Baptist is he did not, as I say in the book, Drop his head or scuff his toe. No, aw, shucks, I'm just John the Baptist. None of that nonsense. No, he stepped up and said, I know who I am. I know who I am. And I know what I'm here to do. And I will do it. And that is not arrogance. That's not pride. That's not putting myself forward. That's not drawing inappropriate attention to myself. That's using my position and my privilege for the benefit of others by sacrificing myself so that my privilege and position are not self-enriching, but are instead for the benefit of other people. Listen, humility in leadership is not about saying, I'm not a pastor, I'm not the president, I'm not important, I don't have any influence. Humility in leadership is saying, I am a pastor, I am a president, I am a director, I am a leader. I do have influence. But rather than use my prestige and my privilege or my position and my privilege that come with my title, my role, my responsibility, rather than using those for myself to make myself look good, to give myself more opportunities, make myself more money. No, I'm going to use these things for the benefit of others. That, my friends, is true humility. Now, the Bible couldn't be more clear about how important it is that we develop this attitude. The Bible says, for example, that God opposes the proud in 1 Peter 5, 5. God exalts the humble, it says in James 4, 10. God leads the humble, it says in Psalm 25, 9. And he empowers the humble as he did Moses, described in Numbers 12, 3. And then God's presence surrounds a humble person. I love this quote from Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. God said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house could you possibly build for me? I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Now, developing humility in leadership means that you must humble yourself. James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6 both say, humble yourself. It's very interesting. Uh, In the Bible, there's a lot of one another passages, greet one another, love one another, care for one another, but the Bible never says humble one another. It only says humble yourself. So 
What are some choices you can make as a leader to demonstrate humility using the position and the privilege you've been given, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others? Well, here's some suggestions. Number one, uh, use your role to benefit other people directly and specifically. Uh, For example, I had a situation a number of years ago where I had to make a payroll benefit decision for the seminary, and the choices were pretty clear. I could make a decision that was going to benefit almost all of the employees, but was going to penalize me, or I could make the decision that was going to uh, keep all the rest of the employees about the same or with a little bit of penalty, but I would benefit. That was a pretty straightforward and, frankly, a pretty easy choice because I knew that I want to use my role that I've been given to make those kind of decisions for the benefit of others. And so I made the decision, and I was penalized a bit financially by that decision, but almost every other employee benefited by the decision as we went forward with the new benefit structure. Accept and value your leadership role. You know, we have a friend that uh, really values public speaking. And she talks about that. Anytime anyone is a speaker, they're like super special in her mind. People who don't speak, well, they're, they're okay as leaders, but they're not quite as important. Well, this has been a real frustration to me because I work with a number of people who speak in public very rarely, but are actually remarkably gifted people who get a significant amount of work done. So in those cases, I want to value what they do and help them to value their role and to learn to use their role to make a difference and not to falsely appraise their situation because they do or don't do some specific act or specific function like public speaking. You know, I'm the public voice of Gateway Seminary, and because of that, I get more notice than I should and more credit definitely than I should about what goes on around here. We tend to overvalue some things and undervalue others. But we can't afford to do that about ourselves. We have to be secure enough and strong enough in who we are to say, part of my humility is owning who I am, not denigrating what I do, not belittling my gifting, and not overly inflating others at my expense, but instead saying, this is who I am. This is what God made me to be. This is the role he assigned me to fulfill, and I'm going to do that. And in doing that, I'll use my position and my privilege to benefit others, but I will not demean what I do and falsely call that humility. It isn't humility. It's, in fact, the opposite. It's a kind of arrogance that says, I know more than God knows about how he made me or what I was supposed to be or what the really important people are like. It's actually more humble to just own who you are and live it out. A third way I've learned that helps me to develop humility and leadership is to express gratitude to people who work with me. To express gratitude. I I try to do this in several ways. First, just by saying thank you to people who do nice things for me in the context of my leadership responsibility. Second, by saying thank you to people who make our work possible. I still hand write, after all these years of president, I still hand write thank you notes to donors every month. Now, not every single donor, obviously, 
But I handwrite some every month as a constant reminder that people are out there giving to sustain the work we do, and it helps me to maintain humility by recognizing the gift of the gifts they're giving and the gratitude I'm able to express. So I express gratitude personally. I express gratitude in writing to people who help support our work. I also express gratitude by giving credit to people um, and doing that publicly and thanking them for the work they've done. So I sometimes do this by putting it in our board of trustees report or putting it in a report that I send out to the seminary where I say we had this success or we had this accomplishment or we did this achievement. And this is what happened that made that possible. And these are the people who were a part of this process and expressing uh, thanks to them. And then another thing that really helps me develop humility is simply celebrating the successes of others. Uh, to, to, to not be afraid to, to praise other schools when they do something well or to publicly celebrate another president who achieves something significant. Uh, I, I think this aids in developing humility because it helps us to learn to focus on others and put others above ourselves and to recognize the strengths and capabilities of others. So a second distinctive of Christian leadership is a distinct attitude, and that's the attitude of humility. When we do this, we're following the example of Jesus and we're following the modeling that Jesus did for us, described in Philippians chapter 2. And humility and leadership, remember this, humility and leadership is not debasing yourself or demeaning yourself or claiming you don't want to be noticed. No. Humility is saying, I'm the leader. I'm the pastor. I'm the president. I'm the director. I'm the leader. And God has given me a position and some privilege that goes with that. But humility is choosing to use those resources to benefit others. And you can help yourself to learn this discipline by, by also valuing your leadership role, expressing gratitude to people who serve with you, and celebrating the success of other leaders who have significant achievements. Well, the proper and distinct motive of leadership is love. The distinct attitude of Christian leadership is humility. Now, finally, the distinct strategy of Christian leadership is service. Service. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 10 and modeled it in John chapter 13. The greatest among you, Jesus said, is the servant of all. Jesus emphasized this strongly in various stories and contexts, that greatness is achieved through service. Now, developing servanthood as a leader can be challenging because, quite frankly, when you come to be the leader, you find that a lot of other people are now serving you. You have assistants and you have supporters and you have associates and you have people that try to do things for you to make your life easier. Nothing wrong with that. That's a part of delegation. It's a part of expanding your effectiveness. It's a part of, in, of having the support that's needed to get the work done and expanding your, your, uh, your capacities. So in the context of being a leader and often being served, what can you do to facilitate, to cultivate this servant attitude as a leader? Well, here are some suggestions. Number one, choose to do a dirty job. Just remember, you are not too good to take out the trash, to mop up a spill, to clean up some sewage, 
to take care of a dirty job. One of my leadership sayings around the seminary is when the trash smells, take it out. You don't need to call somebody. You don't need to complain about that to somebody. Just bag it up and put it in the dumpster. It's not that complicated. And what I'm meaning by that is not that I want everybody to be a trash person, but I want everyone to have a sense that there's no job we're too good to do. There, there's, there's nothing that's, a, that's beneath me as a, as a worker. And when something needs to be done, and it's right here in front of me, and it takes me 15 seconds to make it happen, just do it. Choose to do a dirty job. Second, choose to work with colleagues, going where they are and helping them with their tasks. Sometimes I just show up and say, how can I help? We're moving tables or we're setting up for a meeting or we're, we're, we're uh, organizing for a banquet or something like that. How can I help? Just letting them know that I'm with them and that I want to serve alongside them. Another thing is to choose to work anonymously or sometimes even secretly. You know, leaders do almost everything they do in public. Uh, we're always uh, in front of people. We, we do the speaking and we do the communicating and we do the writing and we have our picture taken and we get the recognitions and we do a lot of public things and there's not anything wrong with that. Again, own your role. Accept who God made you to be and take on the tasks he's given you. Nothing wrong with that. But occasionally... Do something anonymously or secretly. Do something that no one else knows about. To strengthen your organization, to help someone get their work done without bringing any notice to it, to simply take care of a problem that needs to be solved. Just do something secretly, anonymously, quietly, behind the scenes. And then one last suggestion on how to develop a servant's heart, and that is serve a critic. Serve someone who doesn't like you, won't support you, maybe even has attacked you. Choose to serve a critic by doing something kind, directed, supportive to someone or to someone's organization that may not have always been your biggest fan. Now, obviously, as a leader, we're not doing all these things every day. But again, we're trying to develop the distinctives of Christian leadership. And service is our strategy. So if we're going to have a servant's heart or a servant's mentality or a servant's perspective, from time to time, we've got to sharpen that focus. And I've given you some suggestions of how to do that. Do a dirty job. Join in and work alongside your colleagues. Occasionally do something no one else knows about. And sometimes when it's particularly difficult and yet you still have the opportunity, serve a critic by doing something kind for someone, serving them and meeting their needs, even though they probably don't deserve it. Well, after writing a handful of books and reading several hundred more, after thinking Long and hard for many years, I finally distilled down what I think is at the essence or the core, at the heart of Christian leadership. It's love as a motive, humility as an attitude, service as a strategy. 
It's following the directives of the Bible. The greatest commandment, love God and love people. The attitude of our Savior, humility. And the strategies repeatedly advocated for leaders throughout the Gospels, service. So humbly serving others with love. That's at the core of what it means to be a distinctly Christian leader. Will you meditate on these three words, love, humility, service? Let them settle down in your soul. Let them redefine how you view this leadership role that you've been given and this leadership task you're trying to accomplish. Let these three words, love, humility, and service, stand in stark contrast to so much that's put forth in secular leadership theory and writings and examples in our world today. And, sadly, even let these three words be your evaluator as you, inv- as you investigate and consider some models that are being put forth of even Christian leadership. Asking yourself, does this leader, even though they name the name of Christ, do they demonstrate love and humility and service as what is at the core of who they are as a leader? I want you to demonstrate these core qualities, this essence of Christian leadership, love, humility, service. Meditate on these three words. Let them settle down in your soul and then let them bubble up out of you, expressing themselves in a myriad of ways as you do the tasks assigned to you in Christian leadership. Love, humility, service. Let those words mark your life this week as you lead on.